Uh, the Gospel of Mark today, we are uh, into uh, now the end of uh, chapter 5, uh, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43, and this is a message that I'm calling uh, The Power of Faith. So you've all heard the phrase, desperate times call for desperate measures, right? Uh, the word desperate means a, a feeling of, of no hope. Uh, there, there's, there's really very little that you can do about a situation, but you would do uh, whatever you could to change it uh, if you could. Uh, and desperation sometimes results in unthinkable actions. Uh, mountain climber Aaron Lee Ralston had set as a goal for, to, to climb all peaks in Colorado that were 14,000 feet uh, or higher. Uh, and during one of his climbs, a boulder fell on his right arm, uh, crushed his right arm, and pinned him to the ground. Now, this happened on the third day of a planned five-day trip. So uh, he was an experienced climber. Nobody was going to be looking for him for days. And so uh, here he is, pinned under this rock. He did everything he could to try to free himself, and nothing worked. And so he suffered from deprivation, from dehydration, hypothermia, starvation. Uh, he was truly desperate that he might die here. And so after several days, uh, with no chance of being rescued, with no other options, the only way he could survive was to cut off his own arm. Can you imagine being desperate enough to do that? This was a truly life and death situation. He had to position his arm in such a way that he could break both of the bones in his forearm. And then he used a dull blade after that to cut through the skin and the muscles and the sinew and the tissue and the nerves and uh, whatever else is in there. Uh, no hospital, no anesthesia, uh, just a desperate man who wanted to survive. Now, after he was several days late, Aaron's mother got a little bit nervous, and so she called for a rescue helicopter to come and see if they could find her son out in the wilderness. And, and the helicopter found him after he had cut off his arm and had been walking for four and a half hours trying to get back to civilization with a bleeding stump. Uh, this is the condition that he was in. Now, he's fine now, and he wrote a, re uh, a book called uh, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, which is a very clever title, I'd say. Uh, but the doctors who treated him said that if he had been out there in the wilderness, even another hour, he would have been dead if he had not been rescued. So he was a truly desperate person. And in today's passage, we're going to meet two other truly desperate people. Uh, Jairus, whose 12-year-old daughter was on the brink of death, uh, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Uh, they were both out of options. Uh, they tried everything possible, uh, and Jesus was their only hope. And now, what we've seen uh, the last few weeks is that uh, Jesus did four miracles uh, that followed his telling of the four parables that we looked at in Mark chapter 4. Uh, and, and the miracles proved that he had the authority uh, to preach about the kingdom of God, which is what the four parables were about. Uh, Jesus' miracles proved that he did indeed have the authority uh, to teach about the kingdom of God. And then these miracles also proved that he had power, the power that he claimed to have. Uh, in the two miracles that we looked at the past couple of weeks, we saw that Jesus had the power over nature, he calmed the sea, and then he had power over the demonic world as he freed this man uh, who was uh, filled with demons. The man's name was Legion. Uh, there were so many uh, demons. And now this week, uh, Jesus is going to show that he has power even over disease and even over death. 
And so uh, what I want us to take away from the sermon today is that Jesus is our only hope, but he should not be our last option after we've tried everything else, right? God responds to faith, and faith is a key component in what we are going to see uh, today in the working of the miracles. Uh, faith is a key component to asking God uh, in faith that, that, that he will give you uh, what you need. And that's why I called this sermon, The Power of Faith. Now, what we're going to see in this passage is that Mark uh, presents these two episodes in what is uh, typically called his sandwich style uh, of presenting certain material. Uh, we see it, it's kind of unique to Mark, where he presents uh, one part of the story. And so in the beginning of this story, he's going to present Jairus's first half of the story. That's the piece of bread. And he's going to interrupt that story, and he's going to tell the story of the woman with the bleeding. That's the meat on top of the, of the first slice of bread. And he's going to come back and finish Jairus's story. That's the second slice of bread, uh, and therefore it's called a sandwich story. So let's begin with Jairus's desperate situation. Uh, this is verses 21 through 24. Uh, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. All right, so where we left off last week, remember Jesus was on the other side of the sea in the region of the Gerasenes. Now he's sailing back over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we're not told exactly where the miracles that we're talking about today happened, uh, but maybe we can make a couple of assumptions. Uh, a large crowd gathered around him, which means that he was probably well-known uh, in the area where his boat landed, so they knew who he was. And Jairus was a synagogue official. Uh, he came, uh, so this obviously was a Jewish area. And we know that there was a synagogue in Capernaum. We've already talked about that. So all this suggests that he was probably back in Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we can't say that with certainty, but, but that was Jesus' home base. And so perhaps this is where this happened. And Jairus was one of the synagogue rulers. So what do we know about Jairus? Well, he wasn't a priest. Uh, he was a civil servant. He was a, a lay official responsible for managing uh, the worship services at the uh, building and managing the building uh, itself. Uh, but as such, he's a respected leader in the community. Uh, and, and synagogue officials were well-to-do. They were, they were wealthy people. Uh, and so uh, what he learned was that all the money in the world could not save his daughter. He found that out uh, as his daughter lay on her deathbed. Now, we don't know if Jairus knew Jesus uh, personally or if he only heard of him by reputation, but, but either way, he must have heard of what Jesus had done and had, and had been doing, uh, and he came to Jesus to ask. Uh, and the two things that I want us to see about Jairus are, number one, his desperation, and number two, his faith. So a truly desperate person has no other options, right? Beyond, I mean, just considering his uh, capacity, right? His, his, his intellect, 
his finances, his skills, his friend groups, uh, given all of his talent, all that he had, none of it was going to save uh, his daughter. So this is Jairus's condition. He's desperate because his daughter is about to die and there's nothing he can do about it. And so there are no words to describe what that situation uh, would be like. Uh, in Luke's version of the story, Luke says that this was Jairus's only daughter. So that only magnifies how difficult this was for him. Uh, and I don't even want to think about what it would be like to be in Jairus' shoes. He was desperate, as desperate as Ralston was when he decided to cut off his arm. That is the position that Jairus is in. So he's a desperate man, but, but let's not miss Jairus' faith. Uh, Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, just like Legion did, the demoniac did, uh, in the last episode that we studied. Uh, Jairus recognized Jesus' authority and his ability to save his daughter. Or perhaps he just was out of options and he heard about Jesus and, and he went to Jesus. And sometimes Jesus brings people to faith in that way too. Uh, there are no other options and so we go to Jesus and Jesus is the one who does the work. Notice that Jairus didn't ask Jesus any questions, right? He only stated facts. My daughter is dying, fact. Come and lay hands on her so that she will get well and live. He believed that as a fact, too, that if he would only come and touch his daughter, uh, she would live. So uh, Jairus counted it as fact that if he would come, his daughter would be healed. Now, some have criticized Jairus's faith, saying that this is weak faith uh, because uh, he should have known that Jesus could heal just by a word. He didn't have to come and lay hands on his daughter. Or perhaps that he was superstitious, thinking that somehow uh, there needed to be some kind of touch that transferred power uh, from one to the other. Uh, I think that's a little hard on, on Jairus to, to lay that kind of criticism on him. He, he may not have understood the breadth uh, or the mechanics of Jesus' healing power, but he did believe that Jesus could heal. And so what we see is that Jesus didn't criticize Jairus' faith at all, did he? In fact, he didn't even answer other than to get up and to go with Jairus to his house. Now, this large crowd that gathered around him after he got off the boat, uh, they heard this conversation, no doubt, and so they undoubtedly followed Jesus to see what he would do, to see what would happen, uh, how these events would unfold. And so uh, the crowd was also pressing in on him. Uh, that means they were crowding him, trying to get close to him. Uh, if you've ever been to Israel, uh, one thing that I learned when I went to Israel is that Jews have a very different concept of personal space than we do. We, we like a nice, you know, two-foot radius, stay out of my face, stay out of my air. Uh, Jews don't have that same, uh, same notion of personal space. Uh, this is the customs uh, place at, at Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. If you've ever experienced this, on top of each other, like, like sardines in a can, and it doesn't seem to bother them at all. Uh, this is what Jesus had to deal with, people pressing in on him. Uh, and, and of course, this would have impeded his progress uh, to get to Jairus' house. Now, among this great throng of people is one woman in the crowd uh, who has been bleeding for 12 years uncontrollably. So let's look at her desperate situation. This is verses 25 to 28. Uh, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hand of many physicians and had spent all she had and was not helped at all, but instead became worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she had been saying to herself, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. 
So this woman is very desperate too, right? But just in a different way than Jairus. Uh, Jairus' daughter was on the brink of death. Uh, since this woman had been in this condition for 12 years, she probably wasn't going to die today, uh, but she still had suffered terribly for 12 years, and she had no hope of healing. She was also not wealthy like Jairus, right? This, this woman, uh, she, whatever money she had, she had spent it all at the hands of many physicians, endured much treatment, and had not been made well at all. In fact, she had even gotten worse. So we sense her desperation uh, in all these words that Mark uses to describe her condition. Now, in contrast to Jairus, she's got no position in society at all, right? As somebody who's bleeding like this, she is unclean according to the law, which means she's not allowed to be among her people. She is isolated. If she was married, uh, that marriage was as good as dissolved. If she had children, she could not mother these children. She was an outcast in every sense of the word, and she was desperate to help, uh, for help. But she also had much to fear, didn't she? Uh, she knew she was breaking the law by being in the crowd. Uh, she knew that she was transferring her uncleanness to everyone that she touched. But she was desperate enough to risk making everyone else unclean, including Jesus, if she could only be healed. Now, that sounds very selfish, doesn't it? But for her, desperate times call for desperate measures. And she's a woman of, of, of faith. Uh, if we put ourselves in, in her shoes, we, we can feel this internal struggle that she's got going on, right? This, this, this fight that she's having in her own brain. She's thinking, this is my one chance. This is my one chance for healing, but I'm making all these other people unclean. And, and what happens if I get found out? Uh, this, this could be punishable by death uh, if, if I'm found out uh, being, uh, breaking the law and transferring my uncleanness to everyone. So, so that's one thought she has. Uh, but the other is her desire to be healed. Uh, the tense of this verb, uh, where she had been saying to herself, where she had been saying to herself, indicates repeated action. She was saying this over and over again. If I just touch his garments, I will get well. If I just touch his garments, I will get well. If I just touch his garments, I will get well. And you just feel this struggle that she's got going on inside of her. Uh, is she going to go forward with this or not? Will her fear win out or will her faith and desperate desire to be healed win out? Well, let's see what happens to her. Verses 29 to 34. Uh, and immediately uh, the flow of blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power from him had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched you? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came, down, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. So imagine her. Uh, she creeps up behind Jesus, getting closer inch by inch until she had the faith uh, and the courage to reach out and, and touch his garment. And, and his, his healing is instantaneous, right? Uh, throughout the book of Mark, we see immediately, immediately, immediately. And here her, the, her flow of blood was dried up. Immediately, she physically felt that the bleeding had dried and she was healed. Now, I'm sure she would have loved to have slinked away into the crowd, right, and just be gone, not draw any attention to herself at all. Uh, but Jesus wanted to have a personal interaction, a personal encounter with her. 
Uh, he knew her desperate need for healing, but the disciples didn't understand Jesus's question. What do you mean? Uh, who's pressing in on you? Look at this. They're all pressing in on you. What kind of question is that? They were in a, in a huge crowd like the airport uh, at Ben Gurion. Uh, why, why waste time asking silly questions like this? Aren't we in a hurry? We got to get to Jairus's house. His daughter's about to die. What are we doing here dilly-dallying around with this woman, right? So that's how they're taking this question. And Jesus' delay to find out who touched him seemed silly to them, but they didn't understand that Jesus was fully in control of this situation and that there would be time for Jairus' daughter because Jesus wanted to have an intimate encounter with this woman first. Her touch was different from the rest. This was a touch of faith that resulted in healing power. And so the only one in the whole crowd who understood what Jesus meant by his question, who touched me? was this woman. She knew what Jesus was asking. <clears throat> Her worst fears were about to come true, right? She hadn't counted on Jesus knowing that she had touched his garment and that power had gone out from him. And so she'd been caught red-handed exposing everybody else in the crowd to her uncleanness. And she feared that Jesus was about to expose her now. When she knew she couldn't escape, she came to him. She fell down, trembling before him, and she confessed what she had done. She was putting herself completely at her, his mercy to either condemn her or to commend her for what she had done. And in Luke's version of the story, uh, the, the focus is more on her public confession. It says, uh, she confessed in the presence of all. Uh, so more of a, of a public uh, idea is what, what Luke has in mind. But but in, in Mark's version here, as we read this story, it's as if the crowd has disappeared and there's nobody left except Jesus and this woman. Jesus and this woman having this one-on-one -on -one personal encounter. He looked at her. She came and fell before him and she told him the whole truth. And Jesus did not condemn this woman, did he? Uh, he, he, he could have for bringing this uncleanness into the crowd. But instead, he called her daughter. He called her daughter. She had not been called daughter, maybe ever, uh, I don't know. She had not had intimacy with anybody in 12 years at least since this bleeding started. She had not known any community with anybody in all that time. And Jesus uh, just reels her in, brings her to himself, calls her daughter. Uh, what an incredibly intimate thing that is to say to somebody who has been outcast, so in need of community, so lonely, so desperate for so long. Uh, and, and that's just a, a beautiful thing that he says to her. Mark focuses on her faith, uh, which has made her well and brought her into Jesus's family. Uh, and Jesus says to her in response, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. The word for made you well uh, is the Greek word sozokin, which is from the root word sozo, which means to save. Uh, and so what we see here is that her faith saved her, it healed her physically, but it also saved her spiritually. Both of these things are what Jesus accomplished here. And so this woman turns out to be a model of faith for the disciples, for Jairus, who's, you know, looking at the clock, right, right next to Jesus, right? And for us, she conquered her fear and trusted by faith that just touching Jesus' garment would make her well. 
Now, of course, the power was not in Jesus' garment, right? The, the power is in Jesus himself. It was Jesus, and specifically her faith in Jesus and his ability to make her well uh, that saved her. And so she believed, and she got much more than she ever could have imagined. She learned that day that, that Jesus exudes grace, uh, exudes love and mercy. And so Jesus understands our desperation, and he wants to help while everyone else in the crowd there would have condemned her, right, for, for, for bringing the uncleanness uh, into the crowd, uh, Jesus loved her and called her daughter. And so Jesus conquered disease. He makes the unclean clean. And when somebody comes to Jesus in faith, that encounter is always life-changing. We see that throughout the scriptures. And Jesus would not let this woman go away without putting a blessing on her. She wanted to slink into the crowd. If she did that, she might have only had the physical healing, but she wouldn't have had the personal encounter with Jesus. And so Jesus says, no, you're not slinking away into the crowd. There's more that I have to give you. And so he, he calls her out uh, and, and he heals her and, and uses this such intimate term, this word daughter. And so as we think about this woman, do we have this kind of faith? Uh, do we have the faith uh, that, that she had uh, to, or, or, or the desperation to come to Jesus with whatever we need? You know, sometimes uh, we get the idea that, that Jesus doesn't care uh, about our problems, whatever they are. Uh, but look, he cared enough to still the sea, right? And he cared enough to, to sail across the sea to cure one man who was possessed by demons. And now he sails back across the sea uh, to heal this woman who has this bleeding problem. So why wouldn't he care about whatever it is you're going through? Or maybe you're afraid to go to Jesus in your desperation because you've been afraid that he'll condemn you for some sin that, that you have committed. Uh, maybe you haven't been living Jesus's way for a long time uh, and you're afraid to come back, to fall at his feet, to repent uh, and ask for forgiveness. But remember what it cost Jesus to purchase our souls, right? Jesus had to go to the cross to purchase our souls. So uh, having done that, he's certainly not going to reject us at this point. The whole point of the cross was so that he would not have to reject us, so he could accept us, so he will not reject us for any reason. So uh, we don't have reason to be afraid to go to him. But that's also not to say that he will always heal, right? Healing is not always God's plan. You know, we, we lost a giant in the Christian world this week uh, as Timothy Keller went to be with the Lord. He was only 72 years old and, and uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago. And, you know, the whole Christian world was praying for him to be healed. And yet uh, that was not God's plan for Tim Keller's life. But God did have a plan for Tim Keller's life, and boy, uh, did he succeed magnificently at it. Uh, and so he's not going to heal everyone every time. Uh, it's a fallen world that we live in, and part of the curse is that people get sick and we die. But what this episode does show is that Jesus has the power to heal, uh, and if we ask in faith, and if it is his will, uh, he will heal. But faith is a key component in this. And so uh, it reminds me of Hebrews 11:6, which says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. We all know that part of the verse. But the second part of the verse is, is the part that I'm thinking about this week. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists 
and that he proves to be the one, or, 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 and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. So seek him in faith. And whether Jesus heals or not, uh, Jesus will be just as tender with us as he was uh, with this woman. If he doesn't heal, it's because he has a reason uh, for what we're suffering. Uh, but he loves us, and he calls us sons, and he calls us daughters, and he brings us into his family, just like he did with this woman. Now, while all this was going on, the clock was still ticking on Jairus's daughter, right? Uh, so Mark 5, 35 to 43. While he was still speaking, people came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any further? But Jesus, overhearing what was spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And after entering, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. Uh, but putting them all outside, he took the child's father and mother and his own companions, and he entered the room where the child was in bed. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astonished, and he gave them strict orders that no one was to know about this, and he told them to have something given to her to eat. Well, could there be anything more terrifying, uh, more stressful than knowing that your daughter is dying? She's got minutes to live, and the only one who can heal her stops to talk to some unclean woman? Can you imagine that? Now, Patience is not my strongest attribute. I get very angry when people take too long to go through a, great, a green light. Uh, that's a problem for me. Uh, I'm sure Jairus was pulling his hair out as he's, as he's watching the seconds elapse, right, while Jesus healed this woman. Jairus is like, she's been bleeding for 12 years. Come heal my daughter, then come back and heal this lady. You can do that. My daughter is dying. And while Jesus delayed, Jairus receives a message from someone to stop bothering Jesus. He, his daughter is already dead. Can you imagine uh, how his heart must have sunk? And he's thinking, uh, what might have been if not for this woman? If Jesus had only come 10 minutes earlier, my daughter would have lived. I, I cannot imagine his grief. Uh, and Jesus understood what Jairus was going through. And he said uh, to him, do not be afraid any longer only believe. Well, what would Jairus think that meant? Uh, I don't know what he would have thought that meant, but I imagine him being filled with uncertainty, desperately wanting to believe that, that Jesus would make something good out of this. I mean, Jairus knew that Jesus could heal a sick person. He just watched it happen, so that wasn't an issue. Uh, but death was a different story, right? Death ends the possibility of healing, doesn't it? Well, no, not when you have Jesus with you. Not when you have Jesus with you. Not even death is the end of the story. And so Jesus' words gave him hope uh, rather than fear. And so Jairus showed true faith here. Uh, he had nothing to lose, but in faith, uh, even though his daughter was dead, he follows Jesus into the house uh, with Jesus' companions. 
Now, contrast Jairus' faith with the mocking crowd, right? They laugh at him. Uh, and Jesus remarked that, that she's not dead. She's only sleeping. Uh, ignoring the mocking crowd, Jesus goes in with James, John, and Peter, and Jairus, and Jairus' wife to the room uh, where his daughter lay. Now, just what's going through Jairus' mind at this time? He's got tears of agony, uh, anger over the delay, and, and still like this faint glimmer, glimmer of hope that Jesus can do something about the situation. And Jesus, uh, again, so tenderly grabs this little 12-year-old girl by the hand. She's laying out flat. By all appearances, she's dead. Uh, grabs her by the hand and says, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, arise. Her eyes open. She sits up in bed. She stands up. She's alive. Can you imagine uh, what Jairus must have been thinking about this? His fears are gone, and all that's left uh, is faith and amazement that Jesus could do this amazing miracle. But it's not just Jairus, right? His wife is there. The apostles are there. This is part of the reason why he's doing this, so that his apostles would see the power that he had. Jesus delayed on purpose, knowing that the girl would die, so that he could show his power over death, even to uh, all these other people. And so Jesus commanded that she be given something to eat, because living creatures eat, right? And so this girl, she was probably hungry after her uh, ordeal with death. And Jesus commanded that they not tell anybody about this uh, episode. Good luck with that, right? Uh, as uh, you know, this girl who was dead now is alive. I'm sure that didn't go very well. But he's trying to control the narrative, right? He wants to be the one to disclose how he is the Messiah rather than the, the gossip chain uh, talking about how, uh, who this man is. Uh, so the girl is healed. Uh, all turns out well for Jairus and for the woman. So I talked, I started talking about this sermon by, by talking about desperation, right? A man so desperate to live that he would cut off his own arm to survive. Uh, we met two very desperate people in this passage. Uh, they both went to Jesus uh, in their desperation, and Jesus gave them exactly what they needed because of their faith. Now, the world that we live in today uh, suffers from at least two problems. Uh, one is that people don't know how desperately hopeless their situation is. They are trapped under the boulder of sin, right? They're trapped under the boulder of sin, and they cannot escape. Uh, because of our sin, we are all born separated from God. We're all on the broad road that leads to hell. And most people aren't even aware of this, are they? they? They don't know that they are headed straight for hell. They think they're pretty good people, and because they're pretty good people, if they think about heaven at all, they think they're going there. And that's why the first part of sharing the gospel message with somebody is always to explain uh, their lost condition, that they are trapped under this boulder of sin, and they cannot move the boulder on their own, uh, and their sin has eternal consequences. So the first thing they don't know is that they're, they're trapped under this boulder of sin. They can't get out. The second thing they don't know is that Jesus is the only one who can move that boulder for them. He's the only solution to their desperate need, uh, both eternally and temporally in the physical world. Uh, Jesus will heal their souls. He will make them clean and grant them eternal life in heaven if they will only come to him uh, and ask uh, for salvation. But Jesus is not just our only hope for eternity. He is our only hope for today. Uh, when we are stuck between a rock and a hard place, when, when everything is stacked against us, when there seems to be no way out, no hope, we trust Jesus who has the power over the sea, 
the demons, disease, and even death. This is Jesus's power. So go to him in faith. Ask him to help. Trust that he will give you whatever brings him the most glory. And he wants us to go to him long before we're desperate. Uh, he wants us to go to him with all of our stuff all the time. So let's just think about some applications as we wrap this up. The first thing I want us to understand is that, that God will work with your faith. Jesus said uh, that faith the side of a mustard seed can move mountains. And so even feeble or timid faith is enough to activate God's power. Uh, in the woman's case, her, her, her fear her faith overcame her fear of, of uh, being found out by the mob. And Jairus's faith overcame his uh, fear and hopelessness at the loss of his daughter. So cling to faith. It's a key ingredient. We see it throughout the Bible of God's activating power. Now, you've all heard the expression, it's not the size of the dog, but the size of the fight in the dog, right? We've heard that expression. So uh, with faith, we could paraphrase that and we could say, it's not the size of the faith in our God, but the size of the God of our faith. That is where the power lies. Uh, Jesus, remember, could do no miracles in Nazareth because of their lack of faith. Uh, but for Jairus and the woman, he can cure their chronic, debilitating illness and even death. Now, that's faith the size of a mustard seed. We, we shouldn't be happy with faith the size of a mustard seed. When Jesus does these things for us, when he heals us, when he works out our situations, what he's doing is giving us the seed of faith that he intends to grow in us. And so uh, we want that seed to grow. But God will work with the faith you have, and he will continue to strengthen it. So first thing, God will work with your faith. And the second thing is to choose faith over fear. You know, the Bible says, fear not, or some variation thereof, 365 times, one for every day of the year. And so if God tells us something that many times, that's probably something we ought to pay attention to, because God doesn't want us to live in fear. Uh, when Jesus calmed the sea for his disciples, who even had no faith, he showed his power over creation. And when Jesus healed the demoniac, he, he, he showed his power over this demonic world uh, that, that they thought nobody can control the demonic world, but Jesus could. And that man, he responded in faith. He asked to come with Jesus, but Jesus sent him as the first Christian missionary to the Gentiles. Uh, the bleeding woman and Jairus both acted in desperation, and Jesus showed his power over sickness and even death. But what did the Gerasenes do when they saw Jesus' power? They said, uh, we are afraid. We'd like you to leave now, please. And so Jesus got in the boat and he left just as they asked and they missed out on his blessings. You know, fear is a very natural response to danger, whether that, that, that danger is real or whether it's perceived. And if you watch the news these days, you can't help but be uh, practically paralyzed by fear. That, that's how they profit. They, they, they trade in fear uh, and they're trying to create fear in us and it works. That's, that's why they do it. Uh, but we need to deal with fear by replacing it with faith. Uh, when we become afraid of disease, finances, or even death, remember what Jesus can do uh, with a little bit of faith. Uh, he can free people from a legion of demons. He can cure disease. He can even restore life to, dead, to the dead. And so we need to have the faith of Jairus. We need to have the faith of the bleeding woman. Uh, both had something for 12 years, as uh, you have noticed in the passage, right? So what did they both have? Uh, for 12 years, uh, this woman had suffering. She had 12 years of suffering. Uh, the little girl had 12 years of, of lovely life. Uh, but the daughter died at 12, uh, just when her womanhood should have begun. And the woman who had the hemorrhage, she probably wished she would have died after 12 years of what she had suffered. 
uh, but the connection is that Jesus healed them both. Uh, even though uh, one was dead and the one was as good as dead, uh, Jesus was able to deal uh, or, or heal them both. So we need to come to Jesus desperately uh, with our need, believing that he hears and that he will help. Uh, but we should also not wait until we are desperate. Uh, we should go to Jesus with every need, with every care. The power of faith is believing in him for everything and trusting him with the results. So do not fear, only believe. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these uh, two stories that are recorded uh, in the book of Mark. Uh, if you can control disease, if you can control death, then Lord, what do we have to fear? Lord, I pray that these verses would encourage us today uh, that you are uh, sovereign over all things. Uh, whatever your will is will be accomplished. And since we know you are good and we know you are sovereign, Lord, uh, your plan is better than ours. And so, Lord, let us just rest in these things. Let us trust that you are a big God with big plans. And even when we can't understand what they are, Lord, let us trust that you are working them for good. And Lord, uh, let us put our faith in you and replace whatever fear we have with faith. Lord, uh, we, we, we beg you that we would trust you more and that we would live for you more and that we would be obedient to you and just trust you with all the consequences. We thank you for these words, Lord, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.